interesting text this evening, and, and uh, we've been working through James, and so uh, we've given the opportunity to continue uh, into uh, that epistle, and, uh, but tonight's gospel, of course, is quite provocative, uh, one of those gospel readings that we're left wondering, like, I, I really hope there's a meaning to this that doesn't involve the loss of my hand or my eye or, or something like that. Um, and so, uh, Lord willing, we'll speak about that a little, but as we continue in the, the book of James tonight, we've been a bit on a journey here with James about the power of the tongue, of course, and, and how we need to use that for good and to be careful uh, how, we, how we use our, our tongue, and that led us um, to, to other considerations. But tonight... We come to, again, when James tends to feel like this and then a little bit of this and a little bit of that, tonight we come to perhaps a text that's, that's known uh, to you, um, and that's the text about praying over those who are sick. And of course, we, we do this as uh, Anglicans, if asked. We will go, of course, and pray over someone or even uh, with that, anoint them with oil. Um, so this is something that, that we practice, though the text doesn't seem to only be thinking in those terms of kind of the more sacramental nature of anointing someone who is sick. But tonight's text from James breaks down really into to two parts, two pieces, if you will. The first one in verses 13 through 16 is to pray always in all circumstances, right? To pray always in all circumstances. In verses 17 and 18, uh, we're told that prayer, when it is sincere, is always effective. And the emphasis there is on always effective, not sometimes, not maybe, not you will always get what you want if you're praying <laughs> fervently, but sincere prayer is always effective. So we want to we wanna look at, at those tonight and and I hope that as you hear this, both the, the epistle read and, and now that what I will say about it, that we're not just letting it fall on ears here. We say, okay, yes, Christians are supposed to pray, right? It's a temptation, I think, to, to hear this and think like, yes, we know we're supposed to pray, so I do my best. We try to pray. And, and I thought maybe, again, in just a moment of transparency, I would encourage you because I was not a great prayer for a large number of years after my faith really coming alive. I mean, there was lots of things I was uh, good at, quote unquote, if you will, as a Christian. I, I went to church um, very regularly, uh, even through seminary. Christine and I volunteered like with the Wednesday night. I think I got involved in Awana, which I was unfamiliar with and learned about the colors and the circle and the memorization and all that kind of stuff. And then when we moved to Canada, we volunteered with the youth group um, at our church there. And if I'm remembering that correctly, um, I think we were involved twice a week with the youth group. I feel like we were together on Wednesdays and Fridays. Um, and so we were, you know, going to church and volunteering with something that we kind of had down. But I remember, you know, when I prayed, I was struck by how often I prayed mostly when I needed something of God. And maybe I've shared this particular story with you before, but, you know, I was in Minnesota finishing up my master's degree there, and I had sent off my doctoral applications. And I had about a 45-minute commute every day up to St. John's from where we lived, and there was no traffic. I think I've shared that with you before. It was just on this wide-open uh, interstate through middle of nowhere, Minnesota. And so I learned how to kind of drive with my knee, and so that I could study my Latin flashcards while I drove up this mostly deserted freeway. And then I, you know, kind of if it was in the winter, I would test the roads and say, yeah, they're fine. It's good. It's, 
I'm not going to wreck today probably. And so I, I would do that. But I remember the day that I, like following, submitting my doctoral applications, or maybe I was taking them to St. John's to mail them from the post office up there or something. And all of a sudden, you know, my prayer life felt it needed to be very fervent in that moment, right? Because I, I had been going to school for a while and I wanted to get into a doctoral program. So, I, you know, all of a sudden I got serious about my prayer life that day, at least serious for that day um, about praying. And so I remember driving, probably kept my hands on the wheel since I didn't need to look at flashcards, praying to God and say, you know, God, like, I'm not good at this. I, I realize that. I don't pray like I should. And that was it was embarrassing. I worked at a church, you know, but, but uh, you know, I don't pray as well as I should, but boy, today I want to change that. I want to get serious and really start praying. Well, I did get into a doctoral program. Matter of fact, I got into the, t- the one I wanted to get into, um, and, I, and I didn't do such a great job of kind of praying from that, that day on. It, it took me a, more years to really make prayer a regular part of my, my discipline, and so I say that because I, I, I still need as a priest, as someone who tries to pray the daily office, I still need reminders about prayer. And not, not liturgical prayer, not the goods of prayer, but just simply that I need to pray always and that sincere prayer is always effective. And I mean, I did get into my doctoral program. I don't equate that to the sincerity of that prayer. I think I equate that, I think, just mostly to God's grace and maybe also to that prayer. Um, but God was so used to not hearing my voice, he probably didn't know what was happening himself at that moment. So the first thing we're told by James is um, that when you're suffering, you pray. Now, that seems easy, right? Because suffering is something that we all experience, um, and both suffering in the grand scheme of things, like the loss of loved ones, sickness, the loss of property or something like that, or failure to secure much-needed student loan or just whatever happens, I mean, not, not just our health, right, not just suffering in the sense of bodily oppression or something like that, but, but when we suffer, James says, pray. Are you suffering? Then pray, right? Because mostly I am, when I suffer, I start thinking of solutions to the problem, right? And I, and I mean, I really do to this day. I, I still go to solutions first. I'm a, I'm a fairly well, I like to pride myself, wrongly, I guess, on being self-sufficient. So, you know, where some people say, oh, have you prayed about it? I'm like, it's a great idea. I should, I should do that while I sit here and try to fix this thing by myself, right? But if you're cheerful, then what do you do? Praise. Again, pray. That's just another way of saying pray. So in other words, when we're suffering, pray. When we're not suffering, pray. And as Calvin says, suffering stimulates us to pray, And I doubt if praise really needs to be stimulated because when things are going well, we have a tendency to be much more quick to affirm God's goodness towards us. But I like Calvin's line there that suffering stimulates us to pray, right? God doesn't want us to suffer. It's not part of his overall design. There was no suffering before the fall. But when we do suffer in whatever way we suffer, what do we do? We pray. And the other day, I, I, you know, you would have had to maybe sleep through the day on Thursday not to realize there was something happening that day in Washington, D.C. Now, I, I try not to talk politics outside of my home um, because it, it doesn't seem to do any good and it makes people upset. And, uh, but I had a colleague, not Adam, um, walk up to me on Thursday and say, so have you been listening to any of, you know, uh, the testimony? And I th- looked at this colleague and I said, oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Like, I just can't imagine having sat there and listened to this. I mean, just like mostly then I realized I was making a statement about the fact that talk radio drives me insane. Like, hearing people talk, 
without seeing it is really difficult for me. And I said, no, but I said, I just can't imagine what that experience would be like. And I said, have you? He goes, yeah, I've had it on in the background. He goes, you know, when I, when I got up this morning and I started praying about what was happening in D.C., and I thought, oh, that's clever. He prayed about it, <laughs> right? You know, I mean, like, that's a great, and that wasn't a point to Adam. It really wasn't Adam. But, uh, but you know, it, it, I thought to myself, wow, what a, what a great colleague I have. Thankfully, I have colleagues like that. You know, who's thinking about praying for our nation and what is going on that day in, in D.C. And again, that's, that is not because of anyone's, I don't think that person was praying because of their political dispositions. But again, like, there are people who are suffering. There's something at stake here. So let us pray, right? So when suffering, pray. When things are going well, you're not suffering, what do you do? Pray as well. And that's just a good reminder for us, right? No matter what's happening, we need to be people who pray, and then 14, verse 14, transitions into those who are sick. Now, suffering, those who kind of aren't suffering, and now those who are sick. So James might be thinking, if you will, in categories, maybe not exhaustive categories, but are you suffering somehow? Great, pray. Are you cheerful? Pray. Is anyone sick? Well, let's get the leaders of the church together and do what? Pray. Now, mind you, the oil reference here is probably just a reference to, like, bring the Tylenol, right? Bring the medicine that we're going to need. And that's not to make light of being anointed with holy oil, um, the oil of the sick in our tradition. But here, that was not a tradition yet. And oil, we know from lots of sources, including non-biblical sources, was just used as medicine, right? So in this, when someone is sick, what do you do? You pray for them. Matter of fact, prayer is the main verb of that sentence, right? Anointing comes with the prayer. It's something you could do, right? Pray for them, but also bring the medicine with you, which is always a great way to pray for someone who's sick, right? In other words, God healed this person, but also like let them have proper recourse to all the medical, uh, modern medical technologies that they can so that you can also perhaps use those to heal this person, right? And verse 15 ensures us that it is this faithful praying that heals someone, right? So even if the healing is, is, comes about by way of medicine, right? The point still is, ultimately, it comes from God, right? So when I get headaches on occasion, Excedrin, that's all that takes my headaches away. Nothing else takes, doesn't, I could take anything else. It won't do anything. I have to have Excedrin, right? So I have Excedrin stash, not just around our house, but in vehicles, actually here at the church and things like that. And so I, I will certainly give the credit to the Excedrin. It takes my headaches away, but when I get really bad headaches and I say, oh, God, just let this headache go away, I still take Excedrin and I still think God made my headache go away by way of that Excedrin. So that's what the text is trying to, to tell us here, that, look, pray faithfully, right? Call the elders together, but pray over that person. And it's that prayer faith that will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up, right? And if he's committed sins, he is forgiven. So the, the point is, is pray, 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 pray right? This very common thing that we know we're supposed to be doing as believers. And then verse 16 draws an inference from this. It seems like James is saying, okay, so we're supposed to be people who pray. What's at stake there? What will happen? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, right? So since confession of sin and faithful prayer bring healing, then all Christians, not just the elders, should confess their sins to one another and pray for one another. For prayer has great power 
as it's working, or as we may know it better, prayer is powerful and effective, right? In other words, James tends to think like, so if you're, if you're not feeling well and you call the elders and they pray over you, well, that's great, but what, why can't all Christians just be praying for one another? And so he says, you know what? We can. That's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be praying for one another and confessing our sins to one another. And again, this isn't, this isn't sacramental confession, but this is our willingness to acknowledge to our brothers and sisters in Christ the way that we fail so that they can pray for us and that we can be in relationship with one another well. And again, as we do that and as we're praying for for each other, right, with confessed sins, then that prayer becomes powerful and effective. And I think what James is getting at here too is therefore a person is healed both inwardly and outwardly. Right, in other words, why be healed just outwardly if you're carrying all this sin around in your inner being? Right, so confess your sins, take care of what's inside as well as what is outside. So James is not just simply thinking of like, you don't feel good, you're suffering, you're sick, pray. James is saying like, yes, pray, but also pray with a pure heart. Make sure you've taken care of your inner person as well. And I think that's something that is the very thing that keeps us from prayer, right? Because inwardly in our heart of hearts, if you remember last week, James was talking about being single-minded, we're often double-minded people, and so we feel hypocritical, and, and, and I mean, I was totally being hypocritical that day I prayed about getting into my doctoral programs. And the only reason I'm using an example from so long ago is because, you know, that was like a big moment in my life. I'd been, you know, striving for that for a while. And, and it was a great place of me being completely hypocritical. Like, God, I haven't talked to you much. I'm actually a pretty self-sufficient person. But boy, as I mail these letters off, let me get into Toronto. Right? But this text is telling us, no, you need to be in prayer about at all times and with all people and everyone can do it and we should be praying for one another but let's do that also with pure hearts with confessed sins right let us be righteous people as we pray for and with one another now i will i will not lie to you when when i have a real prayer need uh, there's some people i think of immediately that i want praying for me I don't know if you have those people in your life, and I don't know why. It's, it's kind of bad theology if I think those people's prayers are somehow, you know, winged up to God more quickly than someone else's. But I, I don't know. I just feel like I know people, and I think they're particularly faithful prayers and that kind of prayer warrior concept. And so I tend to contact those people sooner than other people when I need prayer. But James is reminding us that prayer is just part of the warp and the woof of being in relationship with one another as Christians. And prayer is just what it, something we do as Christians. And then James says, and I think this is really important for us to hear tonight, verses 17 and 18, sincere prayer is always effective. So he starts with Elijah. And he goes, hey, Elijah was a man just like you. Now this is cool because we named Nathaniel, uh, his middle name is Elias. Well, one of his middle names is Elias. I guess you don't have a middle name when you have four. But the second the quarter, the second quarter of the four parts is Elias, which is the Greek for Elijah. And, and I wanted to name him Elias, but I, I lost. Um, so it got to be his middle name. That's the same story with Brendan, too. I'm 0 for 2 when it comes to first names with my children. But, but we like their names. I like their names. But Christina was like, what if that became the middle name? So, um, but we named him Elias because Elijah, I love Elijah as, as a prophet, right? I mean, how cool is Elijah like? Bring your gods, throw some water on this meat. Don't worry, having fun over there? This is crazy. You guys are cutting yourselves, running there like a bunch of wackos. I mean, I just, it's like, I don't know if he's sitting on a rock, just thoroughly entertained by all of this. And he goes, you done? 
You done? Okay, steps up, what does he do? Boom. But then Elijah also has these other stories, right, where he stretches himself out on the widow's son and brings him back to life. And then the story that James wants to use to illustrate kind of Elijah's um, steadfastness in prayer is Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't do so for 33 and a half years. And then he prayed that it would rain and it did. I mean, I love that kind of, he prayed it didn't, he prayed it did. Remember, we had a season here at church a couple years ago where we used the collect for rain quite faithfully for some number of months, and then it, it did finally rain, but it almost seemed like it had nothing to do with the fact that we had faithfully used that collect, but apparently Elijah could have used the collect to great effect, right? But Elijah's just like us, James says, right? Like, he's just like us, but when he prayed, it did something, right? And so I love that, because what James is trying to say is like, look, Elijah is just like you and I, but he did this amazing thing. Now, I would be tempted to think that Elijah set aside, he's got, kind of got his own special category, right? But James is bringing him back to say, nope, you're, just, you're like Elijah, and you're like Elijah, and you're like Elijah. That's the power of prayer. Now, again, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I have prayed things that I'm hard-pressed to wonder if those prayers were answered, and, and oftentimes they weren't answered in the way I wanted. And so the example here is like, yeah, but Elijah got what he wanted. Right? Elijah prayed and it happened like Elijah prayed for it. I, I pray and it doesn't always happen like I want. But I don't think that's the point of what James is saying. James is not saying that you'll always get what you want. But he is saying that whenever you find yourself in these situations, which again, he might be thinking is any situation, suffering, cheerful, or sick, pray. That's what Christians are to do. We're to be Elijah-like. And maybe the, the reference to Elijah is to remind us, like, ask anything. Just ask it. Right? Don't fret about what you need to ask God. Just do it. Right? In other words, Elijah said, hey, how about it doesn't rain? How about you change nature, Yahweh, to, to, to make a point? And, and that happened. And so we can look to Elijah's that example, even though we might feel like, oh, man, like, I don't know if God hears me in the same way. But let, me, let us come back to not only should we just be praying, Christians, but, but come back to this part nested here in this uh, reading of James, because probably a lot of what was just been said is, is nothing new. But I think for me, reading this passage again this week, what I really saw there was this kind of confession of sins to one another, this, this need to be in proper and, and right relationship with God and with neighbor, and one another. And of course, that's, that's how we start every service, right? Like, love the Lord our God, love our neighbors, ourself, right? So we, we start with that, and when we, conf- when we do the general confession, we're asking confession for the way we've sinned against God and against our neighbor, right? And then you couple that with this Mark passage, right? Wow, what a, what a text, you know? If one of these body parts offends, cut it off. Be done with it. Better you go into the kingdom maimed than that you go in there sinning against God, much less God's little people, innocent people, children. But again, that is not advocating for self-harm. It is not advocating for self-mutilation. But it makes me think that like what Mark is saying is like, look, there's an intimate relationship between what is on the inside and what is on the outside, as James also says. And so he says, look, if you, if you check yourself and you realize that, that in your inner disposition, in your inner person, in your spiritual being— 
you are not sincerely confessed or if you are praying with some sort of double-mindedness, that in that sense, it would, in fact, be better for you because you're kind of you're doing a double harm here, if you will, right? You're sinning against God, but you're also perhaps sinning against other people. And so Mark reminds us that, like, look, we need to be single-minded people, again, to pick up on a text from James last week. We need, to, we need to think about the relationship between our outer person and our inner person, right? And when I do suffer, when I do, when I'm sick, when I'm feeling cheerful, do I pray? And am I praying faithfully for others? And as I do, am I in good relationship with them and with God as I do it? Because if not, again, maybe it is better for me to not be that way, to be better for me to, to, again, cut my arm off, to gouge my eye out, if you will. So tonight is a reminder for us that we need to live uh, as well inwardly as we do outwardly. And again, that's what, that's what James was even saying back when he was talking about the tongue, right? That, that the thoughts we have that quickly issue out of our mouth, right? The tongue does not operate without the inner mind, the inner person behind it controlling it and navigating it or causing it to, to be the, the rudder that it is in the way in which we say things. And so let us be faithful people of prayer. And again, let me just say, I know, I know that it might be tempted for us to think like, great, it's wonderful when the Bible reminds us to do this very central thing. But lest we you know, hear something like this and think, yes, I know we need to be people of prayer. Let, let us think about the details that are in this text tonight. It's not just simply telling us to pray, but it's telling us to pray always, and it's telling us that sincere prayer is always effective. And think about Elijah. And that's pretty cool because I don't think I normally pray like that. I don't think I normally... Um, stand up that straight, if you will, and kind of proclaim to God these needs I have and these concerns I have, and I probably don't commend others to God in the same way. So let us see this passage tonight as a challenge to us, not, not a reminder, but a challenge. And let us be like Elijah, faithful prayers. And let us pray when we're happy, when we're suffering, and when we're sick. And mostly let us be in good relationship with one another so that as we pray for one another, Faithfully and effectually, God will hear our prayers, answer them. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.